You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Good morning, church. Um, like I said earlier, I'm Pastor Mateo. And let me tell you this morning, I mean, you guys might be excited about Student Serve Sunday. Our students might be excited, but I don't know if anybody has me beat for excitement for Student Serve Sunday. I, the whole reason that I feel like God has called me to youth ministry, like if you were to sit me down and ask me, like, what's your vision? Like, this is it. Students who take responsibility for their own faith, who are willing to get up here and to serve, to play in our band, to read scripture out loud for us, uh, to give announcements, to serve by passing out our uh, offering buckets, and to open the doors. I mean, that is what it's about. And not because, hey, they can do this thing during service, but because of uh, what it speaks to. It speaks to something deeper within them. Um, that our church, our community, you guys as their parents, has instilled within them a foundation that is built on Jesus and his word, his person and who he is, and what that means specifically for them, right? Um, So I think that's amazing. Uh, I hope you think it's amazing as well. Um, This morning, I wanted to share a couple of statistics with you before we really get into the meat. So as we... um, as Gray read for us from 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 16, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles there with me as I share some statistics with you. Uh, so I was reading an article this week um, from Lifeway's executive director, Scott McConnell, um, and some of the things that he said were very interesting to me, and I wanted to share a little bit of that with you. One of the things that he said is, most of the reasons young adults leave the church reflect shifting personal priorities and changes in their own habits. Even when churches have faithfully communicated their beliefs through words and actions, not every teenager who attends embraces or prioritizes those beliefs. One of the things that I thought was so interesting is that here he says, even when churches have faithfully communicated their beliefs through words and actions. I believe that that's what we do here at Piedmont, and we should celebrate that. Um, But then, once again, we have these statistics in front of us, so I think it'll show us that we've got to go deeper as well. Uh, 34% of these students who are leaving uh, as they graduate high school and go off to college and have that shift in their life, 34% are moving to college and just no longer attending because of that. 32% say that church members seem judgmental or hypocritical. 29% say that they no longer feel connected to people in their church. 25% disagree with the church's stance on political or social issues, come to realize that and separate themselves. And then 24% uh, say that just work responsibilities get in the way. And as I tell you those things, I think that it's really easy to just hear them and go, man, well, I, it, there's a ton of reasons that students leave. There's a ton of reasons why they get disconnected and then just stop coming eventually, right? So how are we going to take care of all of those at once? Um, Uh, Let me read you this other part from a student pastor that I actually had when I was back in Virginia. He said, for the most part, people aren't leaving the church out of bitterness, the influence of college atheists or renunciation of their faith. Instead, what the research tells us may be even more concerning for our churches. There was nothing about the church experience or faith foundation for those teenagers that caused them to seek out a connection to a local church once they entered a new phase of life. The time they spent with activity in church was simply replaced by something else. And as I read that to you, um, hopefully it hits you in the same way that it hits me. Like how can it be that uh, 
we can have these churches, right, our local churches, and we can preach the gospel, and we can uh, do all these things, throw these big events, and have student, uh, students come and worship with us on student nights and hang out and play games. But where is, where is the disconnect, I guess we could say? And even further from that, how do we respond to these statistics in a way that puts on display our passion for the next generation? As Trey said this morning when he, he came up here and he said, I loved it, he said, they're ready to take over when we need them to, right? And that's a great way to put it, but we've got to keep pushing and pushing. And so we're going to see this morning a couple of ways that I think we need to dive into uh, what Paul is telling to Timothy, this young man who he is writing these words in these scriptures to. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, he says, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. How many of you guys like that movie? You seen it? Yeah? Dude, Vector is one of my favorite characters. Halloween's coming up. I told my wife, I was like, maybe I'll go as Vector this year. <laughs> um, but the reason I think that's so cool is because he is wearing this warm-up suit, right? And this little, little girl says to him, what are you warming up for? Sleep? It's like, no, we have something important to do. I mean, he had big plans on his, minds, on his mind. But what are we warming up for? Are we training ourselves for godliness like Paul commands and exhorts for Timothy to do? Or are we warming up to go back to sleep? And with our youth, what are we doing to push that ball down the court? Are we seeing them connect as a result of the way that we are training ourselves for godliness? Or does the example that we set show them that, hey, we can just put our pajamas back on and head back to sleep? Because the work that needs to be done, somebody else will do it. And so Paul makes this command to, to Timothy to train himself for godliness. And he says bodily training is of some value. And he starts with that. And I think that that is so relevant for us today in our culture. We like to, I mean, just look at social media. We like to brag about how many times we hit the gym in a week. Um, I've got tons of uh, college buddies who, man, their personality kind of revolves around how much work they put in, like the effort that they put into um, working out, to staying in shape, to going on runs. And I think that that's awesome. Like, don't get me wrong, training yourself for those things is, uh, I think, a really good indicator of your character and the discipline that you might have. But Paul takes it a step further and he says, those things are great, but even greater than that is how we train ourselves for godliness. Because yes, physical training might be good for some things, but those things are going to leave you eventually. What is it that never leaves you? And that is the way that you express yourself uh, as an imitation of the character of Jesus. The way that you wake up every morning, read your scripture, uh, and put yourself into the mindset of, man, no matter what comes at me today, like, I'm going to give this day to the Lord. That is spiritual training, and it takes a discipline that I believe is even probably higher than the discipline it takes for you to just hit the gym uh, once in a while, right? And so I think that that brings us uh, to my first point, is that the issue of God's heart for those who are inexperienced, but they are willing and teachable. I think that is the number one indicator of someone who is ready to become a leader, especially in our next generation. Are they willing and are they teachable? And I can tell you right now, in our youth ministry here, we have students who are both of those. They are willing and they are teachable. And the reason that we look for those things is because God 
looks for those things. Think back with me to uh, some of our Old Testament heroes of the faith. Think about David, who God called a man after his own heart. How old was David when he was called out by God? How old was he when he was anointed by a prophet because the Lord saw within him that he was not just willing, but he was teachable. Uh, That his faith would one day move mountains. Think about Joseph and all of his brothers and how he was young. He was a teenager when God started to give him visions and dreams, indicating that he had great plans for him. And then the struggles that he went through, he was able to persist and endure through all of those things. Think about Esther, who was just a young woman when she became queen uh, in Persia, um, to be able to save God's people by her faithfulness, her willingness, and her understanding that she could submit herself to the leadership uh, of her cousin Mordecai. Think about Miriam, the sister of Moses, who was very confused about everything that was going on when all of the babies were being slaughtered uh, of, the, of the Jewish people, but she was willing to go and follow her mother's example and to protect her brother Moses. Even think about the lunch boy with his few loaves of bread and few fish that he was willing to offer up to Jesus so that Jesus could take what little he had and make it into something that would be so great it could feed thousands of people. And then finally, just for examples, think of Mary, the mother of Jesus. How young she was when she was told by an angel that she would bear the burden of bringing the Savior of the world into the world, right? And so think how scared some of these people might have been just because of how young and inexperienced they were. In 1 Timothy 4.12, if we jump down just a little bit, Paul says this to Timothy. He says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. That term there for youth um, that was written in the Greek is a word uh, that's pronounced neoniskos. And it was used to often describe those who were probably of military age. Um, It was a term for a young man who was basically in the prime of his life. And so sometimes I think that we use this verse and we say, um, let no one despise you for your youth. And we tell that to our teenagers, right? But that doesn't just go for our teenagers. Age is a relative thing. Uh, We've got people who are older. And if you're in that certain stage of life, you might think that somebody in their 40s or 50s is still a youngin right? (laughs) Uh, They still have that youthful energy. And so this term was used uh, to describe Timothy by Paul and the fact that he might have even, I believe he was somewhere around his 30s. And yet Paul was already in his 70s. And so Paul having that greater experience, knowing all the things that he already knew because of the experiences God had allowed him to have, was able to look to Timothy, not look down on Timothy, but tell him that He should not let his inexperience uh, and being of a relatively young age in ministry discourage him in any way. And even further than that, he should not uh, let the way that he was young have an impact on the decisions that he made. Because you can be young and you can make tons of errors, uh, or you can be young and in your inexperience, let the Lord use that to guide you on the path that he set you on. Right? And so that's not just for our youth, that's for all of us in here today. And so that brings us to the issue of 
who we are and what we've been called to. Because look down in these verses in verse 12. Timothy is charged by Paul uh, to be an example to others, not just in spite of his youth, but especially because of his youth. So he says to be an example in speech. What does in speech mean? That means that in his word or in his talking, in the way that he conversates with other people, not just believers, but also with those that he was trying to lead to, to the Lord. How do you carry yourself in speech? What are some of the things that you say on a daily basis? What kind of words are in your regular vernacular, in your regular vocabulary? Are they glorifying to God? Are they setting a good example uh, for, if you're a parent in here, are they setting a good example for your kids? If you're a grandparent, are they setting a good example for your grandchildren? Are the types of things that you say, the types of words that you would be just fine with hearing your own kids say, right? Another thing that he says is to be an example in conduct. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. And so in conduct is so closely tied with how we are seeking the Lord. Yes, conduct has to do with our behavior and the kinds of things we do from day to day. But even more than that, everything we do should be based on an overflowing of the posture of our heart, and our posture of our heart should be pointed to the Lord and surrender. So yes, I mean, we can cut up and have a good time, uh, but are the things that we're doing glorifying God, right? And they should, because even the things that we do just to have fun, like sports and all these other things, I think that those can absolutely glorify the Lord. And so in our conduct, we can point them to Jesus, to point the people around us to Jesus, and still have a good time and show others that, man, this is a life worth living because we're seeking God first and he's adding everything else that we need to us as we go. The third thing he says is to be an example in love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And there are multiple terms for love in scripture. I think in the English language, we really just have the one, love. Uh, and so... One day, I might tell my wife that I love her, and the same day, 30 minutes later, I might be, man, I love a good corn dog. You know, those are two very different types of love, and I'm sure you know exactly what I mean, but we're really uh, given some good examples in Scripture because they have so many different types. One, philia, is for like the love of brothers. It's like your friendships. Uh, eros, that is romantic love. But there's this third love, that is used often in scripture, especially in the New Testament with the introduction of Jesus and his ministry, and that is the word agape, which means love. But that love is a special type of love because it's the love that comes only from God. And so when we read here in John 3:16, one of the most famous and most common, commonly known verses from scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, for you and for me. And so yes, we can have these friendship type loves, we can have these family type loves, we can have our, uh, our, our spouse and we can love them. But when we go out and we walk outside of these doors into our community, uh, to the people that are around us, not just people who are believers, but also to the world, uh, because when we were sinners, God still loved us with this kind of love. So are we displaying that love through our actions? Are we displaying that love for others the way that God loves us? And that's a hard thing to set ourselves to. 
That is a very difficult standard to reach, but we're called to it. And so is that your goal? Or is that something that kind of just is an afterthought for you? The fourth thing he calls us to is, um, and he calls Timothy to in his youth, is to be an example in faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith, it's impossible to please him. And he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So what kind of faith do you have? What kind of faith do you set on example uh, for our youth today, for our next generation? Because I can promise you that they are closely watching you and the things that you decide are worth it because of your faith are the things that they're going to devote themselves to because they have that example from you. They have that example to know that, man, this is something that my parents, my grandparents care deeply about and they've devoted their lives to it. And so that holds weight with your students, with your children in our next generation ministries. And finally, he says, to be an example in purity. Titus 1.15 says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciousness are defiled. And I think that that is one of the most difficult, but also ties in with these other four that we've already spoken about. Gosh, it's like I, I think about some of the things that I hear on a daily basis and the world, uh, when you're outside of the church building and you're just dealing with the world around you, I, I cringe sometimes when I hear some of the things that I uh, notice they were playing on TV or play on the radio. Um, what does purity matter to you and what kind of example are you setting for our youth in terms of purity? What standard are you holding yourself to? Are you playing this comparison game when you think about it and you don't lose any sleep over it because you're thinking to yourself, man, yeah, I uh, wasn't the most pure today, but oh man, look at what my neighbors are doing. and Look at what uh, my kids' friends' parents are doing. Certainly, I'm more pure than them, so I'm good. And I, I ask you that today because I think I play that game sometimes in my head. Am I setting the, the standard for my justification based on other people who just, I mean, they're not quite as devoted as I am? Or am I setting the example and my standard on who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's called me to? Because that is what we need to ask of our youth. If we're gonna have high expectations for our youth, then we have to have high expectations for ourselves in order to not uh, fall into hypocrisy and in order to set a good example for them. How are you living, first and foremost? foremost. And so the question that I hope uh, sticks with you from all of this, from Paul's charge to Timothy um, and for his exhortation of him to use his youth as not a crutch, but as something that will push him forward and allow him to be an example for others. And then on top of that, to say to them, I know I'm inexperienced and I know I make mistakes, but how can I use that to bring glory to God? The question I hope sticks with you is, what about the experience right here at Piedmont Church uh, in your missional community groups? What about that experience for these kids and teenagers will embed within them the desire and the passion to seek out a connection to a local church once they enter that new phase of life? Once your kids, once our kids are leaving and they're graduating high school and they're going off to college, what is it that's going to ground them to their faith? Because I can tell you a couple of things that it's definitely not going to be um, love you, Chris. It's not going to be the preaching. They're not going to remember what people say on a daily basis on a Sunday morning. 
It's not going to be the fun summer camp. Uh, that's not is what's going to ground them. It's not going to be the donut holes that we have in the mornings out there or even the snacks that we have in the student lounge for students on Sunday nights. What it is going to be is the person of Jesus and his life personified through your interactions with each other, through your interactions with your students. It's going to be the example you set when you devote yourself to the Lord every day, enduring and hoping and waiting for the coming kingdom of God. It's going to be when you go through a storm and your faith never wavers. It's going to be when you allow your students and your kids to take responsibility for their own faith in a setting such as our missional community groups. Uh, if you don't already know, um, here at Piedmont, we have our MCs, our MC groups that meet, and we have our family gatherings, but they're so much more than that. They're not just a place where we can come together and eat and talk about a sermon. No, they're places where we can do life together. And it is a perfect opportunity for you to invite your kids into that. So are your kids involved in what you're doing? Are you pulling out a chair and asking them to sit next to you so that they can participate in that discussion? Um, I think that it's such an amazing opportunity. Don't let that pass you by. And finally, uh, I would say that it's when you think no one is watching and still are able to exemplify Jesus' character in your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith, and your purity. Because I promise you, the, the younger, they watch the older. And I can tell you that from experience. Like, I would consider myself young now, but especially when I was in middle school, when I was in high school, I mean, I was basing everything that I did and even my identity, parts of it, off of the people that I looked up to. And so take a hold of that responsibility as someone who can, even though you might consider yourself young, be an example to someone even younger than yourself. The last part of what I had today for you is um, I was looking up statistics this week because I, I had other statistics for, of course, like our students and where they're going when they graduate high school. But the last statistic I started to look up was what kinds of struggles do our students deal with? And I know that you guys, especially if you're a parent or grandparent, like you understand to some extent that your kids are struggling with things that maybe you never even had to struggle with. I mean, as I was looking up those statistics, the things that I was seeing in terms of anxiety and depression and from those things as they led to everything else that we're piling on top of uh, academics and sports and the pressures that we have that these kids experience day in and day out, how they lead to students taking their own lives in some cases. And as I was reading those statistics, it just hit me. I was like, I, I don't want to share that statistic with you. Instead, what I will share is personal experience that when I was in high school, I had a friend named Tyler who took his own life. And when I tell you that it seemed like it came out of the blue to me, like it hit me kind of like, man, I was so confused. I was like, if I had somebody sit me down and ask me, man, who is the happiest, most go-lucky person you've ever met in your life? His name would have came to my mind, smiling day in, day out, making jokes, laughing harder than the rest of us. And yet he was struggling with so many different things that we had no idea about. And I think of the opportunities that I might have had to share the gospel with him. And yes, he knew that I was involved in my church. And yes, he knew that uh, I loved Jesus. But he didn't know what that was about because I never had that conversation with him. And even if I could have had that conversation with him at some point, he never got to see me live that out because he only saw me in class. He didn't see me when I was at church devoting myself to, you know, 
playing in student van and to being on a prayer team and to see how those kind of things were impacting my identity in Christ because Tyler wasn't putting his identity in Christ. Instead, he was putting his identity in what people said about him. He was putting his identity in the things that he was struggling with. And let me tell you, when your kids put their identity in the things that they're struggling with, they're going to struggle. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you to think about our youth. Think about yourself and the example that you're setting. Think about the opportunities that the Lord is giving to you that might be passing you by for a number of reasons. Maybe you're just scared. Maybe you're just not ready. Maybe you feel a little bit unwilling because maybe you don't think that you have all the answers. God's not calling you to have the answers. He's calling you to be willing and to be teachable and to use your youth uh, and the experiences that you had from your youth to pour into our next generation. So the last thing I have is a short video. I want to tell you how proud of our students that I am. Um, they gave us their favorite Bible verse um, and what it meant to them. And they also told us a little bit about what it meant to them to be able to be an active part of a Christian community where they could rely on each other and rely on other believers. Um, I think it's amazing. So y'all, go ahead and turn your attention. My favorite Bible verse is probably Colossians 3.23. It says, work heartedly as for the Lord and not for man. I feel like it just makes us remember to do what we do, not for men, but what God wants us to do. My favorite verse is Proverbs 31.25, which is, um, she's clothed in dignity and strength and laughs without fear of the future, which means a lot to me because um, I have a hard time with worry. And so just the part that says she laughs without fear of the future. My favorite verse is Romans 8.39, which says, Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is just a good reminder that we can never be separated through God, and He always loves us no matter what. One of my favorite scriptures would probably be Psalms 94.19, which says, When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. And that really just means like when you're worrying or thinking about the future, the things that are going on with your life, God always brings you joy, especially when you're in His presence. My favorite verse is Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and it means a lot to me where, like, if I'm going through hard times, like, especially in sports, I just point my perspective towards God, and it just gets me through the game. My favorite verse is first, Second Corinthians 5.7, it says, for we live by faith, not by sight. And it just, to me, it just means that, like, don't let our lives get in the way of our faith. I feel like it's just made me realize what wrong is happening around us. And it makes me know what I need to do in order to, like, maybe help that. It just made me a better person, I feel like, overall. Being in a Christian community has really helped me grow in my faith and um, just being able to have those deep conversation with adults or even um, peers in my life who are just intelligent when it comes to biblical things has really helped me grow. This has really helped me grow in my faith and learn more because being supported and taught through other Christians is a great way to grow your faith and I'm so thankful for that. Um, well, I've been raised in church all my life and I go to a Christian school and so godly people are always around me and they really inspire me to 
being closer with the Lord, just seeing how joyful they are. So it's a great encouragement. So I've been raised in the church my entire life and my school is Christian. And if I was not raised in the church like I have been, I don't think I would be here or be where I am today. I got out of Christian school and being there, just we have chapel every Wednesday. And that's just a really encouraging environment for me to like get to know God and just understand more of His Word. Thank you.